Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by the one, the only, Chris Nee. Uh, look at you, Chris, dropping dropping some scoop to get the, the board all up in arms. I love it. And that's where we're going to start this episode at. There's going to be a lot of recruiting stuff to get to, thoughts on ACC kickoffs. But I'm going to park the bus right here, Christopher. Let's talk about your report from yesterday about FSU and uh, the potential of its time in the ACC nearing an end, or at least that's something that is being explored uh, very heavily at this time. Yeah, it's something I've gone back and forth on, kind of putting a comment, a stance out there on for a while. Uh, Tuesday is really probably a pivot point that led to me ultimately posting about it yesterday. Um, I shared a note about FSU, the ACC relationship, future plans. Truthfully, a lot of it's not really shocking if you've been paying attention. I mean, you know, dating back to February 24th, I believe it was, during that Board of Trustees meeting, Michael Alford uttered a word, something has to change about the financial picture with regards to FSU and the ACC. And, well, let's be honest, here we are almost six months removed from that, and very little to nothing has changed other than the success initiative, which we know very few details of, and is certainly not going to make up the gaps that we're talking about. So to get to the report that I shared yesterday, I said that essentially the grant of rights originally came around in 2013. It was amended in 2016. So we're talking about a basically 10-year time frame here with the original one. Anytime realignment has come up involving FSU in that time, I've been largely dismissive of it because the grant of rights is such a pain in the rear and a major legal hurdle. But at this point, I am not dismissive of it. I do believe that FSC is wholeheartedly looking to try to get out of the ACC. Again, not a shocking statement. Plenty of discussion about that in recent months. It's more that I, I think they are truly considering sticking their nose out and being the school or a school that challenges that grant of rights and where things stand. I think part of the reason we're reaching this point is sort of the six-month buildup, that February comments, and we have May at the spring meetings, which you were at, Brendan, where Michael Alford was very direct and open about the fact that he believed in unequal revenue sharing, that things had to be done to fix the issues that exist in the ACC from a revenue standpoint. And we come out of that, and the only thing we really got is success initiative, again, with very little to no details provided by the ACC since that was announced, and certainly not enough to bridge the gap. I bring up bridge the gap twice already here because Jim Phillips on Tuesday when he addressed the ACC media ACC kickoff, he spoke about bridging the gap. Now, let's be honest. What's the gap? So in 2024, the gap is viewed as likely 20 million more for the SEC, 35 million more for the Big Ten. Fast forward 2027, that's 39 million more for the Big Ten per school, 49 million more for the SEC per school. Fast forward to 2029, which seems like a long way off, but it's really only six years. 50 million more per school for the SEC, 40 million more for schools in the Big Ten. That's the projection. So bridging that gap, if you're talking about bridging a gap of that magnitude, whether short-term or long-term, you better have some real ideas. And truthfully, the league has presented no real ideas. Success Initiative doesn't bridge it. Fish Bait Solutions, which has existed as an ACC entity, somebody they've been aligned with, has existed since August of last year. Very little to nothing shared about that and how that would bridge the gap. What little bit of knowledge I have on that, it certainly isn't going to bridge the gap. So here we are, FSU sitting here. A date that's been discussed online, brought up for a good while, is August 15th. Why does that date matter? An exiting school in the ACC must notify the conference and its members of its plans by that date in order to leave by the end of the following June, resulting in roughly a 10-month wait to leave the conference. You can look that up. It's very simple. Uh, Forbes, I believe, actually has an article that directly cites that, dating back to when Maryland departed the ACC. That is still part of the ACC uh, legalese at this point. If a notification doesn't happen by August 15th, the earliest you could potentially leave is basically a 22-month wait because you're going to have to do it again at some point between August 16th and August 15th and the clock restarts. So it's a 10-month wait plus an additional 12 months. Uh, You know, a little bit CYA language, but the reality is in realignment, there's so much going on that uh, it's tough to like put your finger down and say this is... 100% how it's going to play out. This is what they're going to do until they're truly in the process of doing so. So that's where things stand. Uh, I don't want to bog down the conversation too much, but I think it's worth a refresher. The grant of rights runs through 2036. That's 13 more years of an ever-widening financial gap. The original agreement, as I referenced, was in 2013. Basically around time, Louisville joined for everything and Notre Dame joined for everything but football. That agreement was extended, amended in 2016. 
with Disney, ESPN, and the creation of the ACC network. They wanted solidarity to lock in on the network. That's why it got pushed to 2036 as far as the end date. Um, in order to change the agreement, and again, the agreement's very ironclad in the sense of not being widely allowed to be viewed. And the language of the agreement is kind of uh, almost simple in the sense where it leaves a lot of things open for interpretation, but it certainly isn't clear on how to break it or get out of it and things like that. But the belief is that changing the agreement would take a lot of uh, conference, all the conference reps, as well as member institutions, an unknown number of those institutions agreeing upon the idea of changing it. Again, non-determined number. It's not directly set in the contract. I referenced that board of trustees meeting back in late February. Some of the Alfred comments, something has to change, cannot be 30 million behind. He estimated FSU's value in the sense of the revenue at that moment from the ACC around 42 million uh, and reiterated time over time over time as he has prior to that meeting, since that meeting, and for a very long time, FSU is a very important brand. It can be argued that FSU and Clemson are clearly the top two brands in the ACC. They drive the TV revenue, so on and so forth. He has pushed for unequal revenue as an idea to maybe help truly bridge that gap that's been dismissed by the league. It's not something they've agreed upon. That obviously came up heavily at the spring meetings that you were at that were pretty contentious. And again, at that, I believe is when he said a couple of the schools are driving the media contract. Specifically, we all know the belief in that is that it's FSU and Clemson at the top of the heap. There's obviously others, different tier systems. There's some that are making far more money than they're ever going to produce for this league in comparison mm -hmm. to the current figures. And why do I think we're here today? I, I think Tuesday had a lot to do with it. Jim Phillips took the stage at the ACC kickoff a year after talking a lot about revenue gaps, and he really provided no new answers a year later. You know, he talked about success initiative, which I've been dismissive of because, again, it's not going to create a large difference. One number that has to be figured out with that is the expansion, expansion of the college football playoff, the financials of that and how it will play in. I also referenced Fishbait. He brought that up, brought up an eight-point plan with Fishbait, a plan I don't believe anybody's actually seen. And again, from what I've been told, Fishbait is one of those things where like, it's not going to create revenue opportunities that are drastic enough to fix a gap that's viewed as $30 million by Florida State. So the issue is that, again, the grant of rights, super ironclad, ultra difficult we've seen usc and ucla leave the pack but they're not leaving till the end of their grant of rights for example texas ou kind of a similar element some negotiation for each of those but none of them were able to just say hey we're leaving we're out by there was a grant of rights that kind of loomed over them and caused an issue theirs were very short-term grant of rights issues uh fsu anybody in the acc that wants to do this obviously it is not it is a currently basically 13 year window into 2036 so your options and this has been laid out before uh, andy stables actually did a phenomenal job back when he was at the athletic of discussing the options it's basically leave your rights which is nonsensical because the school would not own their media rights even in a new league it doesn't really change the money pie suing ultra expensive probably an option I, we all know fsu has had legal teams and individuals and someone like carolyn egan who's on FS, in, in fsu's payroll directly attorney look at the stuff extensively try to figure out options for fsu and to this point in time fsu hasn't pursued those options a negotiated exit it's pretty uh ironclad that an exit fee for the league is three times your revenue of that year so for example using the 42 million dollar figure that alfred shared in february you would estimate the exit fee solely to say we're leaving the acc would be 126 million three times that figure the other part of that fee is the grant of rights can you negotiate a fee to pay to essentially get your rights back and what would it be is it going to be 42 times the remaining time cut in half how are you going to go about that that's obviously something that have to be negotiated the other thing is uh rocking the boat so bad in the league that you create dissolution among the league that somehow you convince x amount of members you know ballpark of 50 percent or more i would think is where you probably have to land or at least so many major media properties that it causes major issues with espn abc disney that you can cause the league to basically dissolve, therefore believing that you'd probably dissolve the grant of rights. But, and not to get even further into grant of rights, you don't know what state you have to fight that in for sure. Most people probably think it's North Carolina, it probably is, but I don't think it's one of those things where it says where exactly it looms from a legal standpoint. It's just so much. But 
Do I think FSU is trying to leave the ACC wholeheartedly? But I, I go beyond that statement in the sense where I think they're very close to being willing to stick their nose out and be the ones that truly do test this whole idea in the grant of rights and where it goes next and how it goes about. The most interesting thing to me, and I don't know this answer definitively, is do they have dancing partners? And if so, how many and who are they? Because the who is significant in that idea as well. That might be the most informative 10 minutes of conference realignment stuff as it applies to FSU that you'll be able to hear in the podcast world. That was very well done, Chris. You're a machine. I think people know that and appreciate that about you. And I say that in the most loving way possible. Uh, that was that was impressive. Uh, kind of to your last point and something that you touched on uh, during that was like when you're looking at sticking your nose out there and the possible consequences of breaking the grant of rights or, or however you want to phrase it, uh, pushing against the grant of rights. I think of the options you presented of what Florida State could possibly do. I think the hope is is the last one that you mentioned, and that's creating enough of an influx to where other teams leave and yeah. follow you, and you're the leader. And And Florida State has been one of, if not the preeminent voice of like pushing back against the ACC under Michael Alfred, right? That, that has been yeah. something that you've talked about. Uh, but He's is this an idea of like, if you jump, do you have people jumping with you right now? Or are you jumping and then turning around and hoping people are going to follow? And that's that's an aspect, I think, to, to weigh and to consider here in the coming weeks. Feels like uh, something that you've had a lot of backroom discussions on type of thing. And you, so. you feel confident in people, but you never know till you do. And, you know, I, I think if FSU truly sticks their nose out, I think Clemson's not far behind. I think Graham Neff and Clemson understands their value and that's not going to be met in this league. And uh, it's just one of those things that, like, at some point, somebody's got to do it. The 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 financial agreement that currently exists for the ACC is non-competitive today. It's certainly going to be non-competitive in a dozen years. It was done to create stability, but it was done in an idiotic fashion that creates stability, basically a contract term in that language. That was way, way too long. And you look right now in the college football landscape is as unstable as ever. Obviously, the monumental shifts that happened with USC and UCLA leaving the pack and Oklahoma and Texas heading to the SEC, for example. But you also see Colorado flip-flopping back to the Big 12. To the Big 12's credit, they've kind of done a good job of uh, surviving an attempt to basically assassinate them. The, the, big, the Big 12 is basically, do you remember back when we were growing up, the w, WWF before it was WWE, and then it was WCW for them two main wrestling leagues. And then the ECW was that third one that was just kind of like all over the place and crazy, Rob Van Dam, barbed wire stuff. Like it was, it was insane. That's the Big 12. Yeah, their commissioner has been very creative, very outward, kind of created good storylines with the way he's commented on things. I mean, the release on Colorado yesterday, for example. But like the Pac-12's instability and lack of a new reported TV contract that's been shared certainly creates issues. If major properties were to leave the Pac-12, specifically, I think of Oregon first and probably Washington next, it would create another significant moment. And we've, I've talked in the past, I'm not 100% sure if it was here elsewhere, but I've mentioned it, I've brought it up, I know I've discussed it on our message boards, the Pac-12 dissolving or at least falling apart in its current manner and form would be a pretty significant moment because again it creates an unstable environment and maybe we rapidly work towards what ultimately is the end game of all of this which is the sec and the big 10 being the two major conferences super conferences the big 12 existing in a new new form and version that is competitive will have enough tv money will make people of that stature that are in that league satisfied and happy at least for the short term and then probably something else comes out, you know, take whatever theory you want, ACC losing teams, Pac-12 losing teams, those two merging, creating kind of its own Super League, the teams from those two leaving and going and supplying the SEC and the uh, Big Ten moving further up. It's all very interesting. One other item I would bring up that is just pertinent to present day, obviously ESPN, ABC, Disney, whatever you want to call that entity right now, but the financial front of that – They've cut so many people lately. They've, you know, they're going through some issues financially and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out how to make money off linear, uh, different platforms, streaming, all of that. And till that is sorted out, I think they're a little hesitant to make the investment it would cost to add significant properties because there's an upfront 
cost for adding great properties. There's also the cost that may come with having to expand conference schedules in the sense of going from eight to nine games and having page school a little bit more in a new revised contract. I think that's something that causes hesitancy over there. I don't think the Big Ten and their TV partners, specifically Fox, CBS, NBC, I don't think they're going through as much as that. I think that's why the Big Ten media deal is so appealing to those that are trying to get into this market right now. Not as CBS employees. Right. And I I think Fox is one that's definitely a driving force. Fox seems to be a very willing spender who, if they believe it's well worth their time and their money, they're going to spend it. Which what Chris basically just outlined, and correct me if if you don't agree with this, Chris, but like if something is imminent, if Florida City is the one sticking its nose out, or or hell, like sticking its head out at this point, like you're sticking up the whole head. Well, good show. Uh, Do you ever see Game of Thrones? Yeah, plenty of times. You don't want to be Ned Stark trying to overthrow Jeffrey and then turn around and realize that no one else has followed you with the plans. Yeah. You want to make sure that that is that is something that you want to make sure if you're leading that you have other people that you legitimately trust following you. Yeah, and I, I want to be clear. I'm not I'm not saying definitively that I think FSU is leaving the ACC because at this moment I don't know that to be true. I do think they are wholeheartedly exploring all options and pushing the envelope as far forward as they can and getting to the point where they mm-hmm. may make some comments along the lines of their intentions to. Now, you know, FSU is far different than a San Diego State, for example, but we saw where they were going to change conferences and bounce back, and there was obviously tumultuous that came with that. I think FSU, to some degree, might be interested in just kind of shaking it up and seeing but, what shakes loose. Because at yeah, some point, you can't they've... threaten that you want to depart or that you need more money without a little bit of action. And there's That's clearly not action done, coming from the They've ACC. already done the threatening part of it to right. an extent, right? Like they've already kind of their warning shot with the Board of Trustees meeting uh, six months ago or whatever. And then uh, the ACC spring, spring meetings. Yeah, I mean, spring like, Spring meetings is you walking in the room with all of your peers controlling the schools of the other conference that are in this contract with you and laying it on the table and being direct with them. And, you know, the only thing that came from that was the, what do we call it, the success initiative, which we expect to bring very little increased revenue truly in. I just don't know how many more times you can, we talked about this back during during the spring meetings about us being like a poker game, right? And you're playing the cards that you have. And I thought that Michael Offer played them very well, but like, you do have like the Granite riots and other things that are restricted, but you can only make this like you can only make a case so many times and not act on it to where it starts becoming, you know, falling on deaf ears. So yeah. I, and that's not, I'm not saying that what you're not saying it's imminent. You're saying that, that it's being considered probably at the highest level that it ever has as a realistic. Yeah. We also have a window right here between now and August 15th, where if they are going to take action, it has to be taken for it to impact where FSU stands in 2024. Um, and the last point before I got us off on the, the net Stark tangent, I think with everything that you mentioned with the landscape of, of television currently, if something were imminent, just connecting dots and your belief, my belief, Chris, for about a year since this all started was that big 10 was the most likely if it mm-hmm. is imminent, if something does happen, before August 15th, I think that would point to a pretty high probability of the Big Ten being where FSU would would be the most likely to land. I, I felt that way, but that would just that would only further reinforce like that would make the most sense on paper. Yeah, I still lean that way. I think the property in the state of Florida, the improved academics of FSU helps her case to be in that league. That's a league that still does care about academics to a certain degree as much as you can in college football. Um, I, I I've always kind of leaned that way. That all being said, I think there are certainly people that would prefer SEC geography, some built-in natural rivalries, travel, things of that sort. If you're going to put yourself on the market, I don't think you're doing it without a belief that you have a landing spot. But at the same time, you might create a bit of a, not a bidding war necessarily, but you know, your options may be presented to you in a different manner if you're truly available versus potentially available. Sure. If you obviously are out there and, Inherently, FSU brings more value to the Big Ten than it does to the SEC based on on what the Big Ten needs, which is to get into the Florida market. Like, that's the value. And yeah, so, I, I, think, I also think the Big Ten is currently – I mean, both leagues have kind of tried to say, oh, we're not in a rush to expand further. But I think the Big Ten is more comfortable getting to that endpoint of number of teams today than the SEC, and that's largely because of the TV partners and the current situations for those folks. Okay. I think that's everything on the topic. That was 20 really good minutes, uh, in my opinion, on, on something that is 
worth monitoring very closely here in the coming weeks and and we will see what happens in, in that span. Um, anything else on that, Chris, or do you want to move on to ACC kickoff? No, I mean, I don't I don't love it. Like, you know, posting that, what, 22, 23 hours ago, it's not the most comfortable thing for me in the world. Like, I don't enjoy getting into that because some of it is rumor to a degree. But, yeah. like, I, I – We've I gone out of our I way to not traffic. I didn't post it willy-nilly. I, I legitimately believe there are major considerations by FSU about – doing something between now and August 15th. I, I do hope uh, as a little editorial note that people like understand like Chris does not stick his, his neck out there. He does not Ned Stark himself very often, unless he's very, very confident on something. And so uh, when, and I think our message board, like the people on, on those 24 seven, know like there was gravity and weight with, with what Chris put out there. So take that for what it is. Like he doesn't do it willy nilly. doesn't mean it's going to happen. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that it is well vetted and, and well thought out, and uh, there's legitimacy very much so to what he's putting out there. Uh, let's go to ACC kickoff, which was in Charlotte uh, this past week. Uh, we were at the Westin, uh, home home sweet home for that time of year. Internet not working at all. Um, you mentioned the Jim Phillips commissioner speech on Tuesday. It was what it was. I think there's a whole lot more to to talk about there. Yeah. Wednesday. I mean, the main other thing was NIL legislation, which every league's pushing for. They want guardrails. They want consistency, so on and so forth. I find it kind of tough to bang on NIL when FSU has an effective one that's helped them rebuild their football program. Yeah, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to go on into there. Uh, from an FSU perspective, Mike Norvell obviously there wearing his Bowden Society tie. That was pretty cool. Uh, Mike, very comfortable in his own skin at these things nowadays. I think winning helps with that and being this is what, year four now for him. Um, but, but so he was there, Jordan Travis talk about being comfortable in your own skin. This is year three for him at the ACC kickoff. And man, like what a difference, uh, just the way he carries himself, the way he, he talks, uh, just body language. It is all completely different for, for that young man. And it's been so cool to see and to document Ken Deloach, similar, like someone who was very uncomfortable talking in front of people when he first got here and you see like a newfound comfort for him. So the veteran linebacker, Jordan Travis, guys who've been here since day one, when Mike Norvell got here, were able to kind of talk about that journey. And then finally, Jared verse was the other FSU representative. And um, he loves he was, talking. He, he, there was never any concern whether he was going to be uh, comfortable talking or not. So uh, what we let's just real quick, Chris, cause we want to get into the recruiting stuff. Um, but just like some of the takeaways, some of the things that stood out to you, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start off with, Mike Norvell talking about the Daryl Jackson waiver. You asked him about that. And it was a basically a, yeah, I ask about this every single day. FSU is still awaiting clarity and word on, on what Daryl Jackson defensive tackles future will be for this season. Yeah. And uh, Norvell sort of said they're preparing us that they'll have them, but that they also have a very deep and talented defensive line room. So they'll navigate it. However, it plays out ultimately in the end. I think for me, the topics that stood out was I thought all three guys, one handled themselves very well. Uh, you know, two of those guys are really well versed in that, no pun intended. And then, oh. and then Kalen Deloach, I thought, did an excellent job because I don't think that's his setting, but I thought he was very truthful, very direct. Uh, and I enjoyed kind of hearing from a guy who stuck through it. You wrote about this. He's a guy that, you know, he went through it all. He went through the really bad seasons before Norvell. He was here with Norvell early on, got benched, worked his way back. Now, going to be a Buckus candidate kind of guy, most likely. So it, it was good hearing that from him. I think in general, the consensus I took away from the foursome of everybody that was there for FSU is that they know they're ultra talented, but they also understand that like the team dynamics that allowed them to be a much improved team a season ago still must exist with the addition of more talent where they expect to be an even better football team. And you heard that. I thought Norvell talking about, you know, there's going to be guys with starting experience on our offensive line who are going to be reserves, but they got to understand that when they're called upon, they need to step in and do that. And that's true for a multitude of positions. You know, he glowed about Destin Hill, wide receiver addition, who went MIA for two years and now is at FSU and looks like he's ready to go. Keon Coleman, transfer from Michigan State, extremely excited about the athleticism he brings opposite of Johnny Wilson, for example. Um, and defensively, they think they have a lot of pieces and parts. He spoke about Blake Nicholson a couple times. Had that Mike Norvell glow about a kid that, you know, he seems to like a dude. Sometimes Mike, Mike did this when, when he's talking about someone that he likes. This is this is a, a tell at this point. And there's not a whole lot of tells that Mike has. Not like when uh, Jimbo had a lot of tells, right? You could tell something pretty quickly on how he felt about it. But 
Mike's thing when he starts talking about someone that he likes or something that's reaffirming that he that he thinks he's seen, he'll he'll say like, okay, well, Blake Nicholson, pause, head nod, yes, like yes. And so when he when he drops the the hard yes, that's how you know that he is uh, he's likes what he sees and what he thinks was going to happen is starting to happen. And he brought up Blake Nicholson, Chris twice, pretty much unprovoked. Like he wasn't asked about linebackers or young young linebackers or anything like that. Yeah, and Kalen Deloge also shared some really glowing reviews of Blake and his ability, his athleticism at that position. Um, in general, they seem excited about the football team they have, that they want to get to work, uh, but they're focused. Like They know there's a great deal of external expectations. I don't think it's a program that gets too caught up in newspaper clippings and such. I think they're more – they expect a lot of themselves and they work towards that on a daily basis. I think that culture has been very well established within the program. I think the greatest thing about the culture of the program today is that the guys who should be leading from the front seem to be leading from the front. And I think we saw that in a way the three guys who were there representing themselves and spoke about things, but also information we got from Mike Norvell about guys who were doing that throughout the spring. He talked about the improvement he saw from some of the best players, Jordan Travis's, Jared versus Johnny Wilson was that one. I believe he brought up maybe Trey Benson. I don't recall, but we all know Trey has taken the next step, especially physically. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is a Kool-Aid season to a degree, but I walked away from ACC kickoff thinking, you know, the fact that I think that team can win the league and compete at a really high level and to some degree is a playoff contender or a dark horse playoff contender. I don't think it's far-fetched. I don't think it's off base. That, that was my main takeaway. You know, when we do the ACC uh, first team uh, ballot, uh, the preseason all-ACC team, it is a good time to kind of step, take a step back and you start like reflecting on FSU's roster composition versus other teams. And you get to do it in a position by position breakdown. Right. And, and not all the guys who get like nominated by their schools to, to be on that list, like are um, maybe like the best players all the time. So it's not like a, a full, like broad, like analysis that we're doing as you're starting to research it, but it is generally like you're painting over it with a pretty broad brush. You get an idea of like, okay, what does it look like? And like, Florida State, we know this is a deep roster. We think it's a really talented one. We know it's an experienced one, Chris. There's not a lot of weaknesses on that roster. And I think no. that was my big takeaway. It's like, shoot, like there's a lot of guys who could be considered for like all ACC, if not first team, like second or third team at every single position group. Yeah, I mean, I had Jordan as quarterback, as did you at running back. We both had Benson along with Shipley at Clemson. We both had Johnny Wilson at receiver. I think you included Keon. I wasn't far off from doing so. I went with a couple guys who I did a lot in the league last year who are returning, like Jalen Calhoun at Duke, for example. Tight end was Ronda Gadsden, who probably, truthfully, should be listed as a receiver. receiver? And if he was, Jaheim Bell would be my tight end pick. I surprisingly wasn't the one that picked Jeremiah Byers out of the two of us, but he certainly can be on there. I, I do have some like logic behind that. Um, not just me bl- being like a blind homer. Uh, it is that if he starts and he was, you know, one of the tackles that FSU put in there was him and Rob Scott. And I picked Byers over Rob Scott. Uh, if he starts one, we think he's very talented. Uh, Chris's restraining order is, is proof of that. Uh, but, but more so it's like FSU scheme and what we've seen in recent years, like, him and Casey Roddick, I expect both of them to have a, a play a lot of snaps this season and probably be starters. I think they're both upgrades, like over what they've had in past years uh, from an athletic standpoint. And so, like, if I'm just plugging in someone who I think is is going to be an upgrade, like, and based on like, I think Casey Roddick will be more effective than say Dylan Gibbons if he's at left guard. And that Dylan was an all ACC guy. Dylan was very, very effective. I think Casey Roddick's stronger and bigger and. And yeah, so that's where my my logic's coming from, Chris. And also the ACC outside of Clemson, like the offensive lines don't seem extremely great or polished or we don't have like a a team with like a bunch of like proven commodities on it. Yeah, there's individuals. Brian Hudson at center at Louisville is a guy. Christian Mahogany at BC is a guy. Graham Burton at Duke is a guy. And all three of those, I think, made both of our ballots. So that kind of speaks of it. At guard, you had Roddick. I had Meech. Uh, it's kind of a split the difference. Like I think either one can be on there. I think the other guard on there would probably come from FSU. And then defensively, you know, you got Burrs, Ventral Cypress is somebody else. D-tackle, I considered several of FSU's guys, but I ended up actually going with uh, Dwayne Carter from Duke and Tyler Davis from Clemson, who both were top performers in the league last year and earned very good honors at the end of last year. The funny thing is a lot of my team looked a lot like the end of last year's team. 
all yeah. ACC team of guys returning with a mixture in of a few guys that I think will take a next step for separate schools. But yeah, there there were a lot of guys considered from Florida State at a lot of spots. Other than safety, I pro- and probably linebacker. Linebacker because Clemson has two absolute yeah. badasses, and UNC and then North has Carolina has an excellent guy, and then also I like like Peyton Wilson at NC State's another guy I considered there. So I didn't get to an FSU guy at that position. But uh, other than safety and linebacker, I think pretty much every position had a guy considered. Like, I love Maurice. I think highly of him. I think he's going to take a next step. Brian Hudson has just kind of already done it in the league and earned higher honors last year. Place kicker, I guess, would be the other one. I was talking about offense and defense, buddy. Woo! (laughs) Uh, Last thing, I think, tidbit-wise, and we listen, we have a bunch at Knowles 24-7 that we wrote, video. um, More to do. Hi, Chris. More more to do is Chris is going to inevitably procrastinate and irritate me that he doesn't get the defense and notebook up. But, hey, there's not anything else going on either. To Today's goal, buddy. Today's goal. Okay, we'll see. It, it'll definitely be relevant uh, on, on Saturday or Sunday. It definitely won't pass with other news that's coming. Um, anyways, one thing that Mike Norvell said that, that made my ears perk up a little bit was when talking about the offensive line depth, which, again, we know that they have offensive line depth. Like, that's it's the most experienced offensive line in the country from a start perspective between the guys returning, the transfers. Uh, but Mike said uh, there is a legitimate possibility of them experimenting with playing seven, eight guys in a game, which, yeah, that's, that's a little different. Yeah, last year there were – I don't know. I'd have to go back and look for sure, but I believe around three, maybe four games where pretty much every offensive snap was taken by the same five. Um, and while they did have some depth last year, they had to lean into it because of guys getting banged up, injuries, things of that sort. Bless Harris going down. Yeah. Bless Harris going down off the bat is sort of what put them in that pickle. They probably would have been a little bit more like a six, seven group last year with Bless, but the loss of him kind of turned Jazz or Darius into the swing guy. And one of them was usually starting, if not being the swing guy so yeah it, it's a little different bringing in the three transfers definitely helps that along you know i think keandre jones is the third of those three transfers but i think even he has value especially potentially in short yardage situations i, I didn't realize that keandre jones is a registered junior so he has two years of eligibility chris is just nodding like well, thanks for getting the roster buddy good job and then the two other guys like they're not i don't think when you mentioned the seven to eight the eight's pretty clear. It's the the forward or sorry, the five returning guys for FSU and then the three transfers. Like I think yeah. that's kind of the right, right? Rob Scott, Marie Smith, Darius Washington, Dimitri Manuel, and Bless Harris. Those are your five with some level of starting experience with three transfers. So yeah, that's and then Julian Armella and Jalen Early are those probably are the other two. Yeah, those were the other two that were mentioned by Mike. And I think those are guys by the end of the year. If, if things are going well for you, you're able to start putting them into the, the mixture as well and get them primed for 2024, ideally. It's a weird feeling to have an offensive line where you can actually like allow guys to naturally progress before they have to go out there and play. FSU hasn't been in that boat in a long, long time, and hey, they're there. And, you know, people are going to be itching to see an Armella because he was such a highly thought of recruit, but it's actually a good thing for Julian Armella if he's able to prepare himself to play over multiple years while adding weight, getting used to it, taking practice reps, getting some duty here and there within games and not being forced into the fire. Marie Smith and Darius Washington are examples of like how that can hinder your career progression. And both those guys knock on wood have had full healthy off seasons to where they're hitting. Like Darius was at like three Oh six, I think uh, on the roster. Marie Smith was close to 300 pounds, but like those guys are now able to like practice consistently work out consistently and that allows you to be better, stronger. Uh, and when you're playing at 18, 19 years old against grown men, your body's going to break down more and you can't do those things to work out consistently. It comes this like self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, that, that's what, that's, that was one aspect that stood out to me for sure about the offensive line room. It was like, oh, they, we think they have depth on paper. They think they have depth, a lot of depth. Uh, so that was noteworthy. Let's transition. Oh my God. I haven't said anything about our sponsors. My bad. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Sorry, Colin. Uh, starting off with Chattanooga Whiskey. Chattanooga Whiskey, listen to that. Mmm, beautiful brown nectar of the gods. Chattanooga Whiskey, killing it in the craft distillery game. Uh, they do an amazing job with their cast strength. Uh, 111 proof whiskey, which you can get pretty much anywhere. Like if you're, you don't have to look far for it. I've had a couple people actually message me recently. They bought some bottles. I know like Chattanooga Whiskey, that's part of why they're sponsoring us. Is like, you don't, you don't, know the name yet because it's still evolving but like 
it's in 14, 15 states now. It's winning all sorts of awards. Like you will know the name Chattanooga whiskey, not just because we're talking about it, but you're going to know more and more people are drinking it because it is such exquisite high-end product. Like I said, the cow strength is great. Their rye whiskey. I'm not a huge rye fan. I love the rye. I think it, it is a, a super friendly, like easygoing, enjoyable rye uh, with a little bit of complexity to it as well. Uh, their baseline bourbon is perfect for mixers as well. And then they're doing all sorts of experimental stuff with their like Cabernet finished one. I was able to see that recently in Tallahassee at Market Square Liquors. So if you want to go there and try a really cool wine finished bourbon, like, yeah, they're doing all sorts of neat stuff. So Chattanooga Whiskey, thankful for their sponsorship. Even if I didn't talk about them 34 minutes into the podcast, uh, I'll probably, it's Friday evening. If what happens, what we're going to get talk about next uh, happens, then I will probably enjoy a little bit this evening after it happens as a celebration. Um, before we get to that, the Turner Group. The Turner Group. The Turner Group. Calling in Amy Turner, uh, do an amazing job with the, the real estate market in Central Florida and really throughout the state of Florida. Colin is super responsive. He's an FSU grad, an FSU fan, um, and someone who loves the Seminoles and, and loves buying and selling homes at, and helping you find like your dream home. He, he specializes in finding a very detailed home for people, uh, like legitimately, he will, he will go and, and find things that aren't even on market and try to make it happen for you if you're interested in that. So like, if you want to put, dip your toe into the real estate market, if you've been thinking about it and you don't have a realtor that you necessarily trust or know, Colin Turner, Amy Turner of the Turner Group are who you need to check out. So, so I obviously had the Becky moment, as we all know. Yep. There is a Becky that works with them. I have a buddy who actually has used the Turner Group for some stuff. And they dealt with Becky in addition to Colin and Amy. They were very, very pleased with them, very, very happy with them, just to give you a testimonial out there of the work they do. Love that. that that's, what, that's what it's all about. Look at that. Turner Group catching on like wildfire. Uh, if what happens tonight happens as I think it will happen, Chris, yeah, I will get into some Chattanooga whiskey. And that is Charles Lesser's commitment ceremony. It is set for 8 o'clock, 8.30 tonight. I think technically the announcement is supposed to be 8.30 p.m., yeah. So the five-star cornerback is going to be committing from Sarasota, Florida. He is fresh off a visit unofficially to Colorado. Knowles 24-7 was pretty much on that as, as reported in the news. Which, by the way, one more uh, shout-out. Knowles 24-7 promo, 75% off an annual membership. It's good for a couple more days. Take advantage of it now if you want the world of FSU dues at your fingertips fast, immediately. You don't have to wait for, for days on end or for people to aggregate it or, or catch up. You can get it right away and support the people who are breaking the news and making the news cycle relevant. Um, humble brag. Uh, but Charles Lester is committing tonight. We believe it to be an FSU Colorado deal. As we go into today, Chris, it's 9.30 on Friday morning. I do think it'll be Florida State. I, I'm pretty confident on that. And there are a few uh, there are a few details that I can't say right now. It's not my place to say it. Uh, if it gets – if Zach wants to go ahead and because it's kind of become his baby, if he wants to go ahead and uh, break that news, I will allow him to do it. But there are a few, like – break in case of emergency like last end resorts that that are existing out there on the ether and if those change those plans change then i will become nervous about tonight uh that's the most i can say is i have a lot of confidence that would be florida state based on everything we know going into today was that cryptic that was cryptic yeah it felt cryptic i'll just be matter of fact i saw this movie before i got to play a starring role of being kicked off on a never-ending podcast um so like i know what could happen but i still expect it to be fsu i have i think i said that the last time i truly talked about it on a podcast i'm not wavering from that but i'm also not acting like colorado doesn't exist um i will say when charles lester visited back in the spring when Jameis was on campus they met they talked he really enjoyed that i believe on that visit he was on the verge of committing if he had not done so i believe when he officially visited in june that he basically was all in with FSU at that point and, you know, expressed that to the staff. Obviously things have transpired since that specifically to Colorado visit that occurred in recent days, but I don't feel like based on anything and everything we've been told informed of that we know about it. I don't believe he's going to Colorado. I still believe he is going to FSU, which is wholeheartedly the expectation going into that visit of Colorado. 
And I don't, despite a late visit, I don't think it changed the plans. I think we're both so shook. <laughs> I'm not shook. I'm not shook. I just, I expect him to commit to FSU. I okay. have a crystal ball there. I haven't touched it. I haven't thought about touching it. But, you know, it's college football recruiting. It's not for sure until it's actually done. And hell, even when it's done, it's not really for sure. It's not really done. No, we, we know that heck, even well. when it's paper now because of the portal, it's not really done. So, like, is it ever really done? <laughs> oh, no. Our job has become 11, 11.5 months of the year. Like, it, there's not a whole lot of downtime. Um, but, no, I, I do expect FSU to get good news tonight. Yeah, I do too. And it's it's important. It's a kid that they earmarked as the dude for them. I mean, two years ago. I remember him sitting at summer camp on the golf cart watching seven on seven with Mike Norvell last year in 2022. And like it was abundantly clear at that time that this was a kid FSU was gonna at that time have to battle Alabama and Georgia for. They wholeheartedly intended the battle and they intended to win it. And they got him on campus nine times in that span. They've put in a ton of work. He has been a guy that through a coaching tr- transition at his position, has been extremely valued by the position coach in both instances. Obviously, hands-on with Mike Norvell. He's done a great job with uh, Charles Lester and his immediate people in his circle, his family. Um, so, yeah, I expect it to be FSU in the end. Yeah, it's been a total team effort. Like, they do get um, like I can't wait for it to be over. Tony Tokars, Patrick Sertan, Mike Norvell. Um, we even saw, like, other coaches when – that golf cart experience Chris was mentioning. Like Eric, Eric Ray's been extremely involved with him too. Like he, I think, I think D Ray's greeted him damn near every time he stepped on campus. Been like the first guy out there for him. D, D Ray's been been in the mix with some some big timers as well. So, um, so yeah, uh, Charles Lester getting a commitment from him would undoubtedly help the class a ton. He is ranked. Uh, he has a 96 grade per 24 seven sports. We're lower on him than the industry. We have him ranked 38th nationally. The 24-7 composite has him at 19th nationally with a 99 grade, which is pretty great. That's the number two cornerback nationally. Um, he, he's got a lot of talent. His tape is a lot of fun. He doesn't play a lot of cornerback on film. Uh, he does some in more, more in the 7-on-7 seven seven scene where Andrew Ivins has seen him and, and likes him in that deal. Um, but you saw a lot of him in, in high school. Like It's a lot of like off coverage and his ball skills is kind of being allowed to shine. So he'll be a prospect if FSU does get him. Um, we'll probably be like a little bit of seasoning needed, right? I don't know if this is a plug and play five star, but someone with a ton of upside and and you see his ball skills when he's at wide receiver and how naturally he moves and how naturally he plays the football. Like, yeah, there, there is a lot there to, to like. You understand why he is a blue chip prospect easily. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll do scouting reports and, and maybe go live tonight on our Knowles 24 seven feed. Uh, if he does pick Florida state, if not, we're not, I'm not subjecting myself to people laughing at us on our, on our feed and, um, like we've done in the past. So uh, we will we will see. Uh, moving on to the next uh, recruiting update. Zach had this yesterday as, as well as Brandon Huffman and Steve Wiltfong. Uh, they all have flips on their crystal balls for four-star office alignment from out in California. Manasseh Aititi. Sure. Go with it. Chris ain't going to help me on that. Manasseh Aititi. I believe that's correct, yeah. Kind of put a Southern accent on it at the end. But he is... He's from Northern California. Uh, this is a guy that FSU has remained persistent with since he committed to USC back in June. Uh, frankly, we thought that he was going to pick Florida State uh, back, I guess, in, in the earlier in the offseason. And, and there was expectation for him to official after that USC official, but he committed and that came off the books. But the expectation is, I believe he was originally on the 23rd weekend for FSU. So FSU has kept, kept chipping away at it, basically. Yeah. Um, he's a highly he's impressionable great. kid. We okay. we talked about this during the recruitment that he, he kind of would take a visit and fall in love with that place when he was there. Obviously, that happened with the USC visit with him committing immediately following that visit. But FSU has felt like they had lasting power with him, built a good relationship. There's some ties to people that are in his circle already with FSU, kind of longer-term relationships and even go with him as a prospect. And that will probably win out for FSU in the end. I think that happens sooner rather than later, too. He is ranked uh, at, let's see, in the composite. He's 331st nationally. We're much higher on him as a network. Have him at 142. That's a pretty big discrepancy. Currently have a 92 grade on him. Composite grade is a 90 and change. So uh, someone with big body guy, raw, a lot of upside, though, of, of what he can become. Some really natural power. 
also a good dude, like getting to talk to him and hear from him, like when he was visiting, like just seems like a really nice, easygoing guy um, and be good to have in, in the program. So if you can go ahead and flip that, that's a big win for Florida State. And that would be two big commitments in, in a pretty short span if that is something that is indeed imminent. Uh, and that takes Florida State into uh, basically an elite day, seminal showcase with a bunch of guys who are going to be on campus. It's kind of a blend, Chris, of like a junior day with a little bit of a, a workout as well at the end usually. Um, but that's coming up on Saturday. So tomorrow uh, will be the day. Chris and I will be out there. Zach will obviously be out there as well. And we'll be trying to do our best to provide as much comprehensive coverage of the day for you guys as possible. Zach and I went over some of the expected visitors on last week's podcast. Jeremiah Smith, obviously going to be there for multiple days to Florida State. That's big. Uh, number one wide receiver in the country and kind of prodigious. Uh, but someone else that Zach had added to that list recently Jamari Howard from South Florida cornerback. Uh, it's someone who, who is a top, I think, 100 guy nationally, pretty close to it. So that's another big one. Uh, no need to, to keep us spilling too much of it uh, on the podcast. You can check out Knowles 24-7 for more in-depth coverage of it and a preview and, and all that good stuff. Last thing, Chris, that I have on the recruiting front, this is, I, I think, a, a noteworthy step forward for where we're going to see FSU trying to take its defensive tackle board kind of went through the summertime through June without a whole lot of, of luck there. You saw guys commit to rivals. Uh, it's not a great defensive tackle class in general regionally this year. And the ones that you had a chance at went to other schools. Yeah. FSU goes ahead and gets Artavis Jones from nearby Blundstown about an hour west in the panhandle on campus on Thursday. Got him there for a few hours. Zach Blossom was there, was able to catch up with him, had an interview. You can check that out on Knowles 24-7. Artavis Jones is a Miami commitment. He just committed there what a few weeks ago. So to get him on campus after you really didn't get him on campus at all in June uh, during this, this July window, I think you are showing that you were putting your foot forward of like, okay, that's a guy that we now, after seeing how things went in June, didn't go the way you wanted. You're circling back around and recalibrating to, to get that guy uh, higher up on your board. Yeah. The only uncommitted player who I would say is above the line in the sense of a guy FSU would take at defensive tackle right now is Dinoz White uh, from North Carolina. He visited FSU for a few days unofficially in June. Expectations he comes back for an official later in the process. Tennessee and some others are very much in that picture as well. Elias Williams is a kid that's actually coming back in this weekend. He was also at FSU's elite camp in June. He's a big body defensive lineman. Some on the staff think he's an edge. Some think he's going to grow into a three tech interior guy. I'm personally of the opinion he probably grows into an interior guy just because he's at 270 these days and he's really packed it on here in the last year. So those are kind of your D tackle board right now. And you obviously have a commitment from a Jamori flag down in Miami currently. Artavius is an important one. He's a talented kid up near your way. Big, big body kid. Um, and it was disappointing to be perfectly plain and straightforward that he didn't touch the grass in Tallahassee in June at all. I mean, he's yeah, an hour, yeah. hour and a half down the road. He should get here. One thing that it's one thing if he didn't pick you, which is not great, but the fact that he didn't even seem to be in that fight was unsettling. I think. Yeah. But yesterday was a good thing. It was a good moment. Now the, the question is where does he go next? I think there's expectations. He returns to Miami this weekend for their end of summer event. And does he get back to FSU, whether that is somehow in this window before it closes this week or when the season rolls around for a game, an official visit, so on and so forth. you got to keep chipping away at that one. He's not the only prospect committed elsewhere that they probably should be pursuing at that position. Nazir Johnson, who committed to Florida from Dublin, Georgia, is another one I would put in that boat. I think those were both guys that when they were looking at the D-tackle board, they are guys they would definitely take that remain on that board, but they're obviously committed elsewhere. And now there's a little bit of extra work to it. And it's actually mm -hmm. work against two of your biggest rivals. Yeah. It, it, it sets up some like fun stuff to follow, I guess, in the season with most of this like board and most of your like recruiting class intact and really solid, which is a big part of Saturday too. You're getting a lot of guys who are committed uh, back to interact with uncommitted guys and um, like Luke Crumminhawk, BJ Gibson will be around Cam Davis, uh, Landon Thomas. I mean, all, pretty much all of them are regional will be around. Um, but yeah, so that, that defensive tackle board, I, I like that they're going and circling back around, Chris, I think on, on big name guys. Um, I think that's important for you to kind of flex a little bit and show that you have staying power at that position. Obviously, you've made it a little bit more difficult for yourself now that you're trying to flip guys rather than just maintain commitments. Um, but better late than never, I think, is, is a management standpoint. 
I also think those guys are better than any particular plan B types that look uh, attainable right now at the end of July. Yeah, recruiting, I like that they didn't go. Uh, to go cliche on it, recruiting is fluid, and obviously guys could back it's... off commitments elsewhere and all of that. But if you're looking at good defensive tackles, especially in the region, in that class, those two are two of the best. So you mm-hmm. might as well take another shot and see if you get it. Plus the other thing with the tackle room and not to make an excuse for it, but if they were to return multiple guys who they like, say Josh Farmer, Daryl Jackson, or some kind of combo of the two, it kind of changes the dynamics of truly what is the need in that room next year. But on the flip side of that, if you lose both of those guys, plus the right. guys that are going to age out, you, you definitely need bodies and probably need portal in addition to high school, but they've got to start getting some good high school D tackles in addition. Yeah. You know, I agree. In this class. You can't you can't start planning on like those guys returning for another season based on how this last offseason went, right? Uh, and then even like Daniel Lyons is someone that you want to play uh, a, a good deal of this season to kind of prepare him for a bigger role, but uh, Ayobami Tafase. So I'm not worried about the development at defensive tackle. Uh, the recruiting needs to be a little bit sharper, and and I think we're seeing FSU do some things to kind of circle the wagon and, and try to get back in the mix there. So again, better late than never. All right, I think that's everything for this podcast. I wanted to put on one of our 2013 interview series. Trey and I have had a couple more good ones on the last week or so. I think we're up to like four or five guys from that team or staff. Um, I just, this is a 50-minute podcast without it. So we'll, we'll find time for it during fall camp, and we'll keep sprinkling in some of those fun interviews for you guys. We appreciate the feedback so far and the players who've you know, taken the time to kind of relive uh, that, that really miraculous season. So – uh, anyways, I think that's everything, Chris. Anything else before we get out of here? No. I mean, Saturday should be fun. I think it will provide a little bit more clarity on 24 and some remaining targets while also laying more further groundwork on recruiting ahead with 25 and 26. 25. And recruit ahead is always a nice thing. All right. Uh, hopefully, we'll next time we're back, we're talking about commitments uh, and not having our hearts broken. No Coach Prime talk, hopefully. Unless it's just us like talking some trash about Coach Prime. But don't I don't. This. I don't do that. I just don't, I just don't want to have to talk about it. Okay, you hear that. Chris I want to take it off. Take a break. Right, till, take the, till the next target. All right. Chris Snee, I, Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey, the Turner Group. Sorry, Colin, for not shouting out until 34 minutes in. My bad. Um, anyways, let's get out of here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to our subscribers. We'll talk to you guys later. Uh, go Knowles. Bye-bye. Sticking the landing. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs>